0: Oh hi, welcome to another episode of Uncaring Universe, the storytelling podcast hosted by me, Danny Solfield-Waitson. For this episode, I'm joined by Brooke Mags. Brooke is a narrative designer and writer of speculative fiction hailing from Australia, and she has worked on a number of award-winning games such as The Gardens Between, Paperbark, Florence, and most recently Control, the big-budget narrative adventure game by AAA studio Remedy Entertainment. Hopefully you'll find this conversation fascinating. We covered a lot of narrative design ground, such as how Brooke navigates going from small non-verbal storytelling games to really big budget, big team stuff. But I'll say no more, I'll hand over. Thank you for listening, I hope you enjoy the show.
1: Let's
0: start at the beginning, or near the beginning. What has been your route? until now so your route into narrative design and and games in general but also just you know in a in a personal sense uh, you know what's what's taken you here to to today
1: yeah that's a really good question um so I well I mean uh, my origins in writing start obviously very young like many writers and creatives do um but I guess I can sort of kick off by, like give you a summarised version by saying um, I was originally teaching game studies, project management, user experience design at uh, Swinburne University in Melbourne, Australia, while I was also doing a writing course. Um, and my foray into games came through connections at the university who were also working in games. And I was recommended to the Voxel agents as a writer because I had written a fairy tale at the time and showed some friends. It was like a twisted, dark fairy tale. Um, and they, I used that, um, sent it to the Voxel agents. They liked the style. They invited me in, and that's when I start word, started working on my first game called The Gardens Between, which is um, an adventure puzzle game where you move time uh, to solve puzzles in the environment. and It's about um, two young people who are friends, um, and you uncover their friendship by um, yeah, just as you go through gradually, it's like an unfolding narrative, but that was really interesting game to start on because my ideas of what writing and narrative for games were was writing scripts um, and I thought, yeah, I'll probably you know write a script for this game or and it just wasn't so because it's got no text or dialogue in it. Uh, So all of the narrative work I did is behind the scenes, um, anywhere from character bios to short stories to, like, poems that were designed to try and condense or or find the narrative tone for that game alongside Jonathan's concept art and, you know, our, um, uh, I guess, intense puzzle design prototyping phase to try and figure out how this time mechanic works and how it can be built on. And then how to contextualise that narratively Um, because the story is told by these um, man-made or like human objects in um, in these organic, natural, beautiful garden environments and the player controls time and not the characters. So it was really interesting for me to work with the team in a very collaborative fashion where I quickly learned that writing a lot was good for my narrative thinking, but when it comes to communicating to the team, they don't have time, you know, to read your 10-page, you know, narrative sort of document (laughs) Um, or maybe that's, you know, for a different audience. So what I did um, was, you know, used a lot of concept art or um, screenshots from the game as it looked in engine and then put that into PowerPoint presentations with dot points to sort of talk about how we could use a narrative structure to structure the investigation in that game. And that's when I realised or came to the term narrative design as an as a actual job title thing that you can do and how that is different to writing <laughs> for games. Meanwhile, I'm writing fiction in the background, you know, working on some of my own stories um, and by working with the Voxel agents, um, I I guess gained a reputation and met um, other people in the industry because we were working out of a co-working space called The Arcade in Melbourne. So um, I uh, had the opportunity to consult on Florence, um, and also work with Paperhouse on a storybook Australian storybook game called Paperbark. Um, I also did a few other narrative consulting gigs and. Then I guess the major turning point for me was I, I was acknowledged for my work by winning a Creative Impact Award, at um, which was at the uh, Women in Games lunch that we have in Melbourne. Um, and that was awesome and, and, like, very humbling. And then I think I would say that that helped me also uh, be a favourable candidate for um, the Women in Games grant that, Film Victoria were running Um, and that gave women in the games industry who were a little bit into their careers already, it gave them some money to help further develop themselves. Um, And I knew that if I wanted to grow in my skills, I would probably have to look abroad because um, Australia has a lot of talent. We have a lot of um, mobile development studios, but we don't have a lot of big AAA uh, narrative driven story studio, game studios. So Um, I, you know, wrote a dream list and contacted many um, studios overseas and it worked out that I could go and visit Remedy and I could go and visit Double Fine. Um, So I went, (laughs) flew to Finland um, and spent four weeks working at Remedy, um, which was incredible. And, And I obviously got to see the game control that they were working on at the time but couldn't say anything (laughs) about what it was um and two weeks into that they offered me a job which was uh amazing and like a lot to process all at once um because I fortunately they said you know you don't need to give us an answer you can sort of go home and, and think about it um but I also had to go home to finish the grant so I worked at um hipster whale on doing some narrative design for them and then I flew to Double Fine and worked for two weeks there on Psychonauts 2 Uh, and then I had given my answer to Remedy, uh, spent two months to pack up my life and moved to Finland (laughs) and then started in October last year, so it's almost um, to the day that we're talking that I've been here for a year, Uh, worked on Control Um, and, and, you know, had the pleasure of being able to do a number of talks and interviews about the game once it was out. Um, And, yeah, it's been an absolute joy now. Everyone is able to see and play the game that I wasn't allowed to talk about and being the main reason why I moved to Finland because I was so excited when I saw the project. It was a brand-new IP with an active female protagonist which with a uh, talented writing team, I'm like, this is going to be the first game I work on where I'm not the only narrative person. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a, a summary of how I got to where I am today.
0: Amazing. It's a lot of air miles.
1: There's a lot of air miles. It is. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of flying. I've seen a lot of the world this year. It's been wonderful. Yeah,
0: and um, so congratulations of course for the, the release and the reception and how good a game control is and thank you and, and everything else uh, i'm personally a long-term remedy fan but i'd love to hear you said you drew up a dream list um and let's also just <laughs> let's just uh, talk very quickly about florence because that was also you know a fascinating game another non-verbal storytelling game so to go from the gardens between and, and florence where you know they, they have that very much non-verbal uh, mechanical visual storytelling to remedy. What was it that that made you put them on your dream list?
1: Um, well, it was it was mainly because I knew that there were aspects of narrative design that I didn't have experience in because I was working on smaller games. So, for example, with smaller games like Florence. Um, I was more exercising my – well, it is narrative design skills and storytelling skills, so we were assessing storyboards. We were looking at the um, the interaction design and what kind of emotions or play experience that provokes. And Ken had some awesome ideas, um, which you've probably seen, like the the argument that um, Florence and Krish have where you piece together uh, word bubbles yes. or, and things and they get like more that.
0: more jagged, increasingly jagged is. As- their relationship yeah. Uh, deteriorates. Yeah, that was that was a fascinating approach to nonverbal dialogue, which is obviously not something that <laughs> you see very often, uh, and of course you never hear it. So,
1: <laughs> no, no, that's right. And um, uh, that was, I mean, pictures sort of, you know, do really do say a thousand words. But when you're also um, interacting with the thing, you also. Uh, like that's a great example of how you also feel the story or you get to play the story mm. and I don't think we always see that in games like there there are varying degrees that you can interact with narrative um, in games or be, be told a story and one of the, the best ones for me is when you can play that emotion if that makes sense so mm, of course. Yeah, um, and you—it's know, not mandatory. Like, <laughs> you don't have to do that all the time. But where you can do it, it's really effective. And I think um, Ken, being the artist and being a game designer, I think that combination really uh, meant that he could think from it from all angles. And so, um, I, you know, would give—I guess—feedback documents. I would play through a build and give some feedback about how the story felt, pace-wise, and there were a lot of discussions about um, how to end Florence um, and what we wanted for her because, you know, um, it is a more enjoyable narrative when you can be complex about it because it's, it's like, well, you know, has Florence just discovered her passion because of this one person? Or, you know, no, it's, you know, she's grown. I think they both grew out of that and it was sort of okay to say, that you know, she then went on to have other relationships, or you know, have a richer life too, which mm. so I guess is a bit similar to the gardens between, which is this is not like a, it's a simple story, but it's sort of complex ideas about the people in your life who shape you, and who aren't, who don't always stay in your life, mm. but that doesn't make them any less significant.
0: No, exactly, and and the, the conflict is okay and can lead to creative growth.
1: Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's a hard, sometimes, I guess, that's a nuanced message to get across. So I think, I think we did a good job.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Again, clearly, you know, based on the reception. Um, So how big was the team on uh, Gardens Between in Florence? I'm guessing both pretty small.
1: They were pretty small. Um, So the Gardens Between, Henrik, um, Jonathan, myself, Josh, um, so I'm going to have to count them up, um, <laughs> Tim. Uh, there are about seven or eight um, people with other, you know, consultants or, or satellite people on the Gardens Between. It was still a pretty small development team overall. Sure. And on Florence, likewise, uh, I think there are about four or five people with some other other people stepping in to help with um, to do the music, for example, yep. and, and things like that.
0: And so, what about Remedy? How, how big was the, the narrative team? And then, you know, the core narrative team. And, and then, of course, uh, because so much of, of uh, control is environmental storytelling, you know, architectural storytelling, even, even more than environmental storytelling. What was that like second circle? um (laughs) Um,
1: it was interesting I mean the development team for control overall was probably around or just over 100 people and the narrative team is um was actually the largest we've had at remedy um it was about seven or eight people so again um you know that's I mean with you know uh people stepping in and out um it was really interesting too because Rimini um, has a world design director on Control um, that was Stuart MacDonald and he has a lot of amazing ideas um, on you know how a narrative world can work Um, and he worked very closely with Sam Lake and uh, Mikhail who's the game director and Anna uh, McGill who um, was the narrative lead early on um, to develop the world itself so By the time I became involved, the world was quite deep and complex and, you know, had a lot of nuance to it Um, because when you – and I guess that's also another thing is control started with um, a world being developed first Mm. and then the story that would take us through that world um, was decided on a little bit later. So um, because it had to be – well, it is a new weird world that is um, modern-day – Building the world meant finding ways to convey strange, weird, unsettling, otherworldly forces without going into, like, whimsy and fantasy yeah. and also without going into science fiction. And that's not an easy tone to carry off. Um, and a lot of it, you know, came from, for example, we have very talented concept artists um, who a lot of control is was concepted before it was built or... Um, painted over throughout development to be really exacting on the way these environments look and the world looks and how the brutalist architecture um, is a juxtaposition to the chaos that you can create as Jesse with those powers (laughs) in the world that's very responsive. Um, This is a bit of a, I guess, roundabout way to answer your question, but all of that um, then the narrative team builds out and works out okay, so how do we convey all of these ideas to the player because we don't have time to do, you know, lengths of exposition throughout the missions and I don't think that would be very enjoyable either. Um, So, you know, the Darling videos, for example, um, we've always done live action at Remedy and that's kind of a a Remedy storytelling tradition in Mm, a way. Um, Going from, you know... uh, Alan Wake to Quantum Break, where it was an actual TV show that added to the narrative, Um, live action for control is embedded in the narrative, which I think is um, really cool. And in in that way, they are literal videos that were prepared by Dr Darling for the Federal Bureau to explain these concepts to, you know, the layperson working at the Bureau. So, um, yeah, I think it was a lot... uh, The storytelling and story building was a lot more integrated in control, which meant a lot more communication had to go on. And there were definitely times when we didn't get it right and had to pull back. When you go too, too, you know, fantasy and strange, we're like, mm, that's not nuanced enough. Well, you know, what, what else can we do? Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> so there must have been, it sounds like, yeah, there was uh, a lot of people involved, that it was mm. law first, essentially. Yes. Which which is always, yeah, a really interesting way, I think, of of building a story. But it doesn't always happen that way. And there must have been a lot of different dynamics going on in that team, because, as you said, you had a narrative team of eight and then everyone else involved. How Mm. did you personally and and of course, in a broader sense, uh, if that's (laughs) even Mm -hmm. answerable, but let's focus on how did you personally manage the dynamic of, of working within that team you know and kind of yeah um, expressing your own creative vision uh and control excuse the pun you know while <laughs> while obviously um not being you know too prescriptive and, and letting everyone else have their say because I think that as a narrative designer you're at the intersection of you know so many different disciplines it can be it can be hard so what was your personal methodology for that?
1: yeah that's a great question. Um so it took me a while to get my head around the like exact theme and tone um that we were going for. we had a we had a really in-depth um narrative world bible uh, that I read, but we found that obviously that's not um again, like harking back to the gardens between, that's great for the narrative team um, to have that level of detail. But when it actually comes to communicating with people in other departments, that level of detail doesn't work. Um, And so one of the, I've heard writers and narrative designers be explained um, that the writers are in the character's experience of the story and the narrative designers are in the player's experience of the story. And so um, what I found myself doing, you know, quite often was walking, like I wasn't always at my desk, I was often walking the floor and going to, you know, level designers or visiting environment artists and helping inform their work by telling them the parts of the story that they needed to know because at that point in development we were quite a way through and so it's funny when when the rubber hits the road it gets really hard to keep your documentation up to date. Yeah. Um, and so it was just easier for me to get the answers from one person in the room down the hall and then take it straight to the other person who needed it down the other end of the hall. Um, and part of my, what I was responsible for was the um, motel sequences in control, and I also was a narrative designer on many of the side missions. And what that meant was um, figuring out what the, like, ne- what what we needed to tell, like what the story was and then how to, and then communicated that to the team. I use a lot of um, PowerPoint presentations and images um, and I had a lot of multidisciplinary meetings where I would call everyone, for example, who was involved in a motel sequence and that would be um, a writer, myself, a sound designer, a lighting artist, a level designer, an environment artist, an animator um and potentially someone from VFX um, and we would all sit in a room and look at the um, at the motel sequence and then look at what we need so for those when I rebooted them um, because they had been a little bit forgotten when I picked them up um, I put together a PowerPoint presentation that said you know this is what the motel is this is the narrative tone um, this is the gameplay tone this um, And to meet this tone, we're going to have Jesse not have abilities in this area. We're going to have puzzles based on rituals and dream logic. Here are my proposed puzzle designs for each of those sections. Um, I'm not a brilliant puzzle designer by any means, but it was a good place to start from. Um, And then using reference images um, or, uh, you know, to, to help set the tone and give people a visual idea. And then uh, the level designer helped me put together some um, like top-down images of the motel and how they're going to work from an interaction perspective. And then after that, um, I would follow up with each of those people and play the build perhaps every week and make notes and send notes or have another meeting. And so it would be anywhere from Jesse walks down the hallway, um, the pyramid door, It has an interaction on it. Uh, The player can interact with it but finds that it's locked. And so we need an animation for Jessie, you know, trying a door. Um, The writer says, well, perhaps Jessie needs to say something like, hmm, the door's locked or there's that pyramid symbol or, you know, something like that. And then when she walks down the hall before she gets to the lobby, Um, There might be a sound that happens, like in one of the motels, there's someone knocking on the door and asking if if the motel's open. Um, And so we have to decide where we want to put the trigger for that particular thing so the player will hear it. And um, it really was a great insight for me into how much work (laughs) goes into um, creating something seemingly so small, um, and how many how many people's work sort of is affected by what you decide to put into the narrative? Um, and that was new to me because I'd obviously worked in such small teams before. Um, and so going to that, like, I really had to do had to level up my communication skills quite a lot. And also, um, one of the first things I did at Remedy actually was I went from room to room and introduced myself and also said. Um, So, you know, I come from an indie game background and I've never worked at a company before where there's an entire room that's dedicated to lighting. (laughs) Um, So would you mind, like, telling me a little bit about what you do and how narrative affects your work? Mm. And I think that was probably, looking back, one of the best things I could have done and would recommend to other writers and narrative designers to do if you don't know. You could just sort of say, hey, and people are usually really happy to talk about what they do. Um and it was also good to open channels of communication. So throughout development I would have, you know, uh an environment artist message me and say, Hey, you know, I'm doing the final like prop setup for Trench's office. Uh do you have any more ideas from the narrative team about what I could put in there? Because I've, you know, put these things in there. Um, what do you think? and then that was really great because then i could take that to the narrative team we would could do a bit of a brainstorm and then i could get her the answers that she needed right away and funnily enough sometimes like things like that would come up just in the kitchen
0: <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and i
1: i'd be talking to a level designer or an environment artist or a character artist and they would be saying yeah i'm working on this character or this environment and like i'm not sure about you know i the narrative context like do you mind like giving me some info and I'm like yes absolutely I can get you the info I can get you the character biography I can you know and so I became um, a little bit of a walking Wikipedia or connector as you very much you know put really well before that's what that's a big part of what narrative design is and then the other part is the implementation part of things so for example when you say um, we're going to need narrative documents in this game, I need to go talk to UI about what those narrative documents could look like in a menu, Mm. how how many words we have, um, can we put pictures in them, Um, you know, what's the general sort of functionality because uh, it's a bit pointless for a writer to start writing those until they know how many words, um, can they use pictures, uh, where can they be found, how does Jesse access them. Um, Yeah, so... It's been a big learning curve. It's been cool. The best way. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so you're a writer by trade originally that has become a narrative designer. So this question will be very interesting to, to ask of you. And I know it's a difficult question and that's why I love to ask it, especially of people that work in narrative. What are your heuristics for narrative decision making so whether you're writing your own fiction your your speculative fiction as a writer or in your wearing your narrative design hat what what are the filters and the lenses or the mental models you use to basically convince yourself that uh, an idea is is the right one to champion or or you know the right the right line you know how do you look at one of your paragraphs of writing and say uh yeah this is doing what i wanted to do
1: This is a really great question because I actually stumbled upon something like a couple of weekends ago when I was um, talking about how, like I was thinking how a lot of games start or can start with scripts and I'm not convinced it's the best way to start writing a story for a game. Um, And I think it's got to do with actually same with the gardens between like chaining together uh, a... Sequence of narrative beats, which is the equivalent of writing your outline for your novel or something. So you're kind of going through going, what are the general things that are going to happen in this story? Um, And I was doing a narrative design gig a while ago where I put together just a sort of chain of narrative beats and how they all had to feed into one another and how each of them was opening up some more gameplay and what that gameplay was um, and why conceivably that particular narrative beat. Um, could open that type of gameplay Um, and then I thought to myself while I was working on it, I wonder if this would work for my novel because I'm a little bit stuck with my novel at the moment where I've been writing and writing and writing, kind of pantsing as we say, just sort of following these scenes where they're going in my book and then hit a bit of a wall and I was really struggling with why because I was also thinking it was a short story and it got longer and longer So what I did was I was like, well, maybe I'll try this narrative design beats thing for my book. Um, And I've recently bought a whiteboard and put it up on the wall of my apartment and I can't recommend it enough um, to try and (laughs) plot um, books. So I just drew a chain of um, circles all attached together, like I sort of do for this narrative design job. And then I went, okay, beats for the main character in my book. Well, uh, she discovers that she's different. Um, she denies that she's different. She then is prompted to accept that she's different. Uh, and now that she's accepted that, she has to actually prove why being different is, you know, what she wants to be. And da 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 da. sort of tracked it all the way to the end. And then when I was finished, I drew a, I drew a line from the end all the way back to the beginning as to why it was a circular narrative. And then I looked at it and went, I know why I'm having trouble with my writing. It's because I'm stuck in Act (laughs) 1. You know, and then I went, oh, my gosh, yeah. So um, it really does – I actually haven't funnily enough done that where I've gone, I'm going to put on my narrative design hat and approach my writing. But when I did, I was like, well, (laughs) here's here's my answer, like just coming at it from a different perspective. Mm. Um, Because when I get into writing mode, I tend to think – oh, you know, it, it becomes a bit overwhelming, like writing a novel as a concept. Yeah, um, and then uh, also the writing is the details, which is, um, it sounds funny to say, but again, it's that difference between character experience and play experience. When I jump into play experience for the novel, I'm like, okay, well, like what are the beats? What are we going to go through? How is this overarching story going to happen and where are all the fun encounters and where are all the, like, what, what more am I going to, how is the world going to open up over time, um, which is a very, yeah, game-centric thing to do. And then uh, when I when I jump back into the writing, then that's sort of, okay, on a scene-to-scene basis, what is the character feeling? Does this make sense with what she would do? Um, what does feeling different feel like or look like in this world? Um, and that's the that's the writing nuance and um I really realized that they they are two different headspaces um, and so yeah, switching between the two has helped me immensely
0: good <laughs> yeah that is it is fascinating to think uh that you can kind of take those two approaches to yeah the specific act of writing because of course, yeah, in a narrative team you have a narrative designer and a writer if you're writing a book on your own. You've, you've got to be all that at once. Um, so, yeah. yeah. No wonder um, it's difficult.
1: <laughs> and I think for people it's um, it's probably the same thing but just a different articulation of the two hats that you wear. So yeah. one of my friends who is a novelist, she just calls it plotting her book, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whereas, I call it narrative designing, you know, the world that my novel's going to be set in or, you know, and so from that world design approach, sometimes I can just procrastinate with world design and that's great. But, um, yeah, then the question is how do all of these ideas chain up and open up over time, which was the same with Control. We were thinking about how to introduce all these concepts to the player over time, like what do they need to know? There's a lot to learn about the world. Um, And so especially the first two missions i would say is very tight in control like we looked at them like exactly what narrative objects you can discover that very much sort of just set the tone of government organization perhaps a little bit strange it gets stranger and it gets stranger and then we start to get deeper into the world so yeah it's it's interesting
0: okay so we already crazily don't have that much time left so i want to ask you one last question or comes in two parts one is how do you fill the cup what do you do whether it's games books you know art galleries to um basically inspire yourself and take in new ideas and as part two maybe it's the same (laughs) how do you recharge and you know what do you do to actually get away from thinking (laughs) about narrative
1: Mm. Really great questions. Um, I take in new ideas by – I listen to a lot of audiobooks at the moment. Um, I'm listening to Amnesia Moon at the moment, um, and I read comics at the moment. I'm having a good comic moment. I'm reading Promethea by Alan Moore, and then uh, I'm about to go on to um, Morning Glories and Fables. And funnily enough, yeah, the reading story – by pictures is really interesting. And then, what else do I do? I, I do, I watch a lot of TV shows actually, but a lot of my ideas or inspiration really does come from comics at the moment. Um, I also read nonfiction books um, about like <laughs> habit building, I guess, and, and um, about different ways of approaching creative work. Mm. Um, and then to take my mind off all of that, I really like to, um, uh, well, at the moment it's been traveling, um, because for me, that's a completely different mode. Um, I'm, I'm a bit of an introvert by nature, so I'm more likely to be spending a lot of time with my laptop or with my books, but, um, even just going to a completely different place and reading a book, I find really refreshing. Um. What else? I do, like, I do like art galleries, but I admit I don't get to them as much as I would like.
0: I think that's true of us all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, yeah, it's true. And also, I guess, talking to other people, um, especially other creative people who are writers or musicians or narrative designers themselves, um, not necessarily about the craft, but but sometimes about the craft is refreshing because they have different ideas about how they approach it. Like my friend um, who's a novelist, she has new things going all the time. She's like, I'm trying this new thing where, you know, I have a bullet journal and I'm sort of just writing a sentence a day in there and then seeing what comes out of that. And so when I see other people playing... With their craft that encourages me and inspires me as well, no matter what it is. Um, I also do play games. Uh, I really enjoy a lot of short narrative games <laughs> at the moment um, because my time is a bit short. But um, I'm just about to sink into. Um, I think Destiny becomes free to play in October, so yeah, I'm
0: soon, very soon.
1: Keen to sink into that. So. Yeah, but I, I admit it's it's hard to balance your time across all of these things.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a skill in of itself, right? It is. is. What you prioritise and making sure that you, you do take some breaks uh, and that you yeah. do take some other things in, because especially when you're doing something that you love, something is fun and interesting in narrative design. Yeah, it's, it's difficult sometimes for that not to be the only thing that you do.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, I also like exercising like I do go to the gym or do some form of exercise every day which really helps when a lot of the work that we do is very um mental like it's very mentally challenging um you know you're always pulling creative thoughts and new ideas out of your head so something that requires focus in another way uh, and and that's more physical and bodily is very refreshing (laughs)
0: Thank you again for listening everybody remember please share on twitter uh, if you enjoyed this episode or subscribe leave a review on itunes anything that helps this wisdom get out to the people that really need it is most appreciated